recording. <clears throat> so, I don't know about y'all, um, but I've had a rough couple of weeks. Um, I've hit other emotional and mental walls during this time of pandemic, but this last couple of weeks have really hit a big one. And I find myself feeling sad, a bit depressed, kind of lethargic and exhausted by everything that's been happening. And also just by the prolonged intensity of everything, like the political sphere is intense and the disease rate is growing very intensively. And, you know, the ongoing protests and the ongoing injustices towards black and brown people by the state And the reality of that and the enormity and the weight of it all is to say the least intense. And here lately, I have moments of feeling that enormity and weight as though I might buckle beneath it. And I'm wrestling it and I'm trying to keep it from overpowering me. So today in our First Testament series, I wanted to go to the story of Jacob wrestling But before I do, I just want to remind you of Jacob's story up to the point of today's text. Okay, so Jacob is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, and he has a twin brother named Esau who emerged first. And therefore, because he emerged first, he was given the rights to the inheritance of their father's property as the firstborn. But Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright, and he tricks their father into giving Jacob the blessing of the firstborn instead of Esau. Why only one person can be blessed is a mystery to me, but that is patriarchy and scarcity mindset for you. So Esau's furious because Jacob has taken what is his. Esau's lost his birthright. And their dad, Isaac, is afraid that Esau will kill Jacob. So he sends Jacob to their uncle Laban for safekeeping. Jacob then gets his comeuppance for his trickery because then Laban tricks Jacob out of seven years of hard labor in exchange for a wife that he doesn't want, plus another seven years for one that he does want. And then Jacob becomes very prosperous And Laban gets jealous and tries to steal it all. So Jacob and his whole entourage, which is pretty big now, they have to flee. Once again, Jacob finds himself fleeing for his life. Incidentally, go and read chapter 31 of Genesis because in that chapter, Jacob's wife, Rachel, makes a really great joke about menstruation and she totally plays those dudes and it's awesome. So you should read that little um, little snippet. So here Jacob is. He's trying to go home, and it's during this journey home to his family in which he wants to make amends with his brother and deal with his family's brokenness and trauma and their difficult relational history that this story of Jacob wrestling with some entity happens. So now I want to read to you from Genesis 32, beginning at verse 22. The text says, The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. I don't know how to say Jabbok, but that's my best guess. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. The text here calls it a man. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall, ne- you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now, okay, Jacob is no saint, and his youth has been pretty eventful, some good, some bad, and much of that of his own making because of his ego and ambition and his tendency to want to deceive people. And it seems to me, as I take this story in, that this is the story of a midlife crisis. Now, if you have ever read this beautiful little book, Falling Upward by Father Richard Rohr, you might see some similarities from this story to what Rohr calls entering the second half of life. This is a moment in which which Jacob has spent many years establishing himself both honestly and dishonestly, and he's gotten everything he's ever wanted. He's got flocks and sons and multiple wives and all the trappings of ancient Near East success. But he's realizing, I think maybe, that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And that staying on the hamster wheel of success and constantly having to defend himself from his uncle and to work and to take care of everything is exhausting. And it seems to me here like Jacob hits a wall. He arrives at what Roar calls the necessary suffering. Okay, so Jacob sends his family over the river and he takes a moment for himself. The text says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And I just wonder who he was wrestling with. Was Jacob perhaps facing himself for the first time? Was he wrestling with his own past and his own demons and his own shadow? It seems like that kind of moment for Jacob, the moment when he experiences the necessary suffering that will spur a person to surrender their false self so that they can find their true self. This is the moment in your life when you become awake to what actually matters and you realize that all the striving and conniving that you did before isn't going to buy you love or happiness or satisfaction. And so in this moment, you finally take a good look at yourself and you reassess how you want to live. Are your values aligned with your priorities? Are your actions and your habits reflective of your true self? And I think that we all get to this place in life if we're on a journey of awakening. I think we'll get to the point where we, where we become so exhausted and fed up with ourselves that we hit a wall and we must finally stop and contemplate. No more autopilot. No more sweeping it under the rug. 
And sometimes that that contemplating means that we must wrestle with what we discover. Father Rohr writes in this book, None of us go into our spiritual maturity completely of our own accord or by a totally free choice. We are led by mystery, which religious people rightly call grace. Most of us have to be cajoled or seduced into it, or we fall into it by some kind of transgression, believe it or not. Like Jacob finding his birthright through cunning, and Esau losing his by failure. So often, we fail or transgress as part of our growth path. And the goal is to become spiritually mature. So whenever we hit walls in life of any kind, I believe that it's always an invitation to stop and contemplate and ask ourselves, what is unsustainable about my life right now? And how can I move into more alignment with my heart and my values? How can I find a way to keep growing and awakening? And what needs reconciling here? What relationships have been harmed and need nurture? What wrestling must finally be done so that I can live a wholehearted life? The prophet Hosea seems to agree with me on this. This is um, Hosea 12. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and he will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he tried to supplant his brother and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met him at Bethel and there he spoke with him. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. But as for you, return to your God Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Hosea, the prophet, references the story of Jacob and he says, Stop. Return to your God. Hold fast to love and justice. Wait. Recalibrate. Reevaluate. Reassess. So it seems like we are collectively in a moment like this. Our society can choose now to self-examine so that we can grow into maturity and elderhood, prioritizing love and justice, or we can stay spinning out and allow ourselves to remain focused on selfish ambition and on our petty ego pursuits and on winning an argument that never stops. We can either be initiated into a soulful way of being coming out of the ego and into the heart or we can decline that narrow path. I find it so interesting that Hosea says Jacob strove with an angel whereas the writer of Genesis is translated as using uh, man and God to describe the entity with whom Jacob wrestles. And that makes me so curious about angels and man and God. What might angels and man and God mean to us? What do we wrestle with? My friend 
And mentor Sharon is fond of saying this. She says, all emotions are messengers and all messengers are angels. Now, she uses the term angel to describe not only spiritual entities of some level of divinity, but also messengers from within. And she has helped to teach me that my emotions are worth listening to as messengers, as angels from my inner self. And that when I ignore or resist them or wrestle them down, I miss out on opportunities for spiritual work and self-knowledge. So when I wrestle with angels, I realize I'm wrestling with the inhabitants of my own emotional landscape, but also with my own resistance my own non-acceptance of how things are. Internal resistance causes me, causes me personally a lot of wrestling. I don't know about you. In Falling Upward, um, Father Rohr writes, one of the great surprises is that humans come to full consciousness precisely by shadow boxing, by facing their own contradictions and making friends with their own mistakes and failings. People who have had no inner struggles are invariably both superficial and uninteresting and we tend to endure them more than communicate with, with them because they have little to communicate. Don't you think that Jacob faces his, himself and his own contradictions here on the banks of the ford of Jabbok? I wonder if we can imagine the man Jacob wrestled with as a symbol of external forces, like external circumstances, other people, relationships, realities that exist outside of us but that put pressure on us. Who here has wrestled with the reality of the COVID pandemic and our response to it? Who here has not wanted to accept it and instead gone to wrestling, hoping that it will relent and become something else? Who here has wrestled with relationships, hoping that those people will become someone else? Who here has wrestled with other realities outside of our control? Do you think that Jacob wrestles with the past he can't change here? And with a father and brother and uncle that he can't change here. And as for God, I can think of a lot of ways that we wrestle with her. I think I wrestled for many years to try to get my own perception of God out of the box that he was put in by the faith paradigm I grew up with. I wrestled against that version of God knowing intuitively that the real God isn't some vicious, hating old white man, but instead he's God, he, she, they, is a being of infinite creativity and love. I've wrestled. I've wrestled with messages that God has sent me and directions that I've been given and ways that God has shown me that I have not kept the law of love and that I have been misaligned with God's priorities of justice and mercy and peace. I think we wrestle also to keep our own selves attentive to the divine, 
to keep ourselves awake and present and attuned to the highest law of love and the highest good of all people and animals in the earth and to keep the imagination of God alive in our minds. This takes some self-wrestling in the form of discipline. Desmond Tutu said, we're only the light bulbs and our job is just to remain screwed in. That takes some wrestling and some self-discipline. And don't you think that maybe Jacob wrestles with his own history of misalignment with the things of God here on the banks of this river, which he hasn't crossed over yet. Now, I have some questions about all this wrestling, and I'm not going to be able to answer them all in this sermon moment. But I really think unanswered questions are often the most important kind, like the kind that we have to sit with for a while and perhaps wrestle with for a while. And wrestling seems to be a very human trait and tendency. We can observe it. Striving. And the narrative of the text seems to offer approval towards Jacob for this striving. Jacob contends with the visitor. We might say in our paradigm that he's stalwart and resolute, and he keeps fighting. But by the end of the tale, we realize that the visitor has been holding back. He's able to immobilize Jacob with one quick blow, and we realize that he had that capability all along. But there seems to have been some important transformation process going on all during the night of wrestling that matters for Jacob's spiritual growth, so much so that he warrants a new name, signifying a new identity at the end of his wrestling. He's initiated into a new level of his personhood, just like Father Rohr talks about as we enter what he calls the second half of life. Jacob goes through the necessary suffering surrenders his false self and takes up his true self and his true life and is able to then cross over the river. But I have one particular question that keeps niggling at the back of my mind, and that is, what if instead of immediately going to wrestling mode of like fight and resistance, which is to say starting with no, no, What if instead we learned to start with yes and instead to practice hospitality to these visitors, angel, human, and divine? What if we welcomed them and decided to listen and be open? What if Jacob had welcomed the man instead of becoming immediately antagonistic? What if he'd practiced acceptance and become hospitable towards this visitor? What would happen if we became hospitable toward our own emotions? If we accepted the waves of them as they appear with kindness and love and patience, even though we might feel for a moment as though we're going to drown? And what is this story say or help teach us about our own growth and our own ego transformation? What does it suggest about how we might level up our own maturity by sticking it out 
in those deep wrestlings and by understanding that we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we got to go through it. And what if we took a step even further beyond wrestling and resistance and toward hospitality and presence? I have these questions. What hope does this story offer us as a society as we now wrestle and contend with the plagues of racism and inequity and mass incarceration and war and fear-mongering and a list of unjust systems? Where does our wrestling get us? I hope it gets us a new name and a new identity. And I can't answer all these questions, but yet they are the ones that I wrestle with. Will we, will we now endure this necessary suffering, this crucible, and choose to surrender our ego in the process? Jacob, I think, faces himself and gets a reward, the new name and the up-leveled ego. And by up-leveled, I mean down-leveled, right? Because he wrestles all night, only to not win. He doesn't get to have a victory-fueled ego trip, even though he does get credit for playing, for credit for wrestling. And he gets a new name that helps him to better tell his story going forward. But he doesn't come away unscathed. He leaves limping. He leaves with a bodily reminder of his struggle. Who of us is going to come out of this era unscathed? I think no one. I think it's worse for some than others, but by and large, we're all suffering somehow, and it will be years before we are able to take the measure of our trauma and catalog our pain and loss. We will all leave this prolonged moment with a proverbial limp. But we have the hope of Jacob's story, the suffering, the surrender, the new name, the transformed identity, the moving, crossing the river and moving into a new future. Some of us will never face ourselves as Jacob does at the Ford of Jabbok. We'll put it off our whole lives, some of us. Some of us will never recalibrate and level up. But I hope that's none of us in this community. I hope that we are characterized by our willingness to welcome our own emotions, to face our truth and our past, to wrestle with hard questions, and eventually to surrender our false selves and our egos so that we can hold fast to love and justice and stop and wait continually for the voice of God, as the prophet Hosea says. So as we end today, I would love for you all to hear this poem read by Drew, which um, is about that choice, the choice that we get to go through the door of transformation or not. Amen.